0: Money FM 89.3, best of the breakfast huddle. The Bigger Picture with Ryan Huang. Money FM eighty nine point three. It's the breakfast huddle with Ellie Danker, Barati, and Ryan Huang. It's time now for the bigger picture.
1: Mm, lots on the radar today. We've got inflation making headlines. People are waiting a Fed decision from their FOMC meeting, and of course, the property sector in China as well. Uh, tell us more, Ryan. How will this, or how will all of these factors likely affect the bigger picture?
0: That's right, Barati. So overnight, we had another round of inflation rising, and that sparked a. Fresh bout of selling on Wall Street, especially in technology stocks, and also in the property sector in China. You've got China Shimao just raising more red flags around the industry. To get a bigger picture, I've got Manpreet Gill. He is the head of FICC investment strategy for Standard Chartered Private Bank. Morning, Manpreet. How are you today? Good morning, Ryan. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great as well, Manfred. So, let's dive into the main event this week, which is the FOMC meeting. And we've got another round of inflation data. Wholesale prices, that is up 0.8% in November. Above consensus forecasts of 0.5%. And for the past year, is now at 9.6%. The pretty much highest level in nearly 4 decades. What do you make of the numbers here and what does that mean for the FOMC when it comes to deciding what to do
1: next? Well, I think the the inflation number is producer prices of undoubtedly a high number, and I think, you know, never a good thing when it's a little bit above expectations, Uh, but it doesn't really take away from the broader debate, which is one of, you know, is the Fed policy settings and the path they've sort of, you know, indicated the right one, or do they need to accelerate that to some extent? And, you know, where it's most probably going to feed in is the decision on tapering, whether to accelerate. I mean, I think consensus is already looking Mm -hmm. for a significant acceleration, but for markets, we think the key is really what it means for interest rate hikes. I think mean, the market, it's interesting that market pricing has swung quite a bit over the past couple of months, all the way back from three rate hikes to one rate hike and back again. So I think, you know, the key would be what signals we get from that front and how much leeway the Fed price is in, because let's not forget, you know, we still inflation you know is likely to moderate somewhat as we go in q1 q2 next year unless supply chain problems really persist much much further than than what we expect but i think that you know whether that will translate in one two or three rate hikes i think that's going to be the most important question for markets
0: yeah the big question of course is um all these rate hikes are we expecting pressure on growth names technology stocks how do you expect this to play out for stock markets
1: well, on the growth names, uh, we think it's actually how the, how the factors balance out. I mean, no doubt that higher bond yields, higher interest rates can be a headwind for growth names like, the you know, particularly those in the technology sector. Uh, they tend to be the most sensitive. But let's not forget two offsetting factors as well. One is, you know, in in an increasingly sort of scarce, you know, yeah, earnings growth sort mm-hmm. of uh, picture next year, uh, that's one sector which just stands out as having, you know, uh, Better chance of delivering still still reasonable growth, and the other factor is: look, the Fed may very well raise rates, but let's not forget markets are already pricing in three rate hikes next year. So long end bond yields, you know, the rise there may end up still being quite contained. So the drag may be a little bit smaller. So, so where it leaves us is we actually do prefer the tech sector in the U.S. Uh, next year. But our return expectations are much, much more moderate than what we've seen in 2020 and 21. I mean, those kind of returns, I don't think, are sustainable for year after year.
0: So a quicker pace of tapering could set a stage for some rate hikes next year, possibly two and maybe three or four in 2023. And let's take our attention to China, where we've got more red flags around the Chinese property space. And the latest is around China's Shemao Group And this is around a corporate governance issue. And there is a deal between two units of Mao Group, essentially Mao's services unit, agreeing to buy another unit of Mao Group for $259 million. So essentially being seen as just transferring money from one side to the other side. And it is just raising a lot of red flags about how much pressure the Chinese property space is under. What do you make of the latest developments, Manpreet? And are you any you know, bullish on where things are in china right now
1: well i think it, the latest events just just indicate that you know the the jitters in the sector haven't gone away and i think it's interesting that you know, whether it's, you know, regardless of which firm it is, I think you're seeing the market sort of react quite sharply uh, to an individual piece of news. And I think that reflects both jitters and the fact that, you know, the Asian high yield market liquidity is very low. So we're also getting disproportionate price moves uh, on every piece of news. So I think it's a combination of those factors. And on a broader level, though, I think it, it really feeds into our view on Asia dollar bonds, particularly the high yield space. I think we're still quite comfortable with our view that when you take, you know, six to twelve month views. These valuation, these sort of valuation levels tend to lead to some pretty attractive returns when you take a full year view. That's the lesson from Asian high yield history, as well as history of markets like the U.S. high yield, which have been through many, many more cycles. Uh, the challenging part is it these ventures show how difficult it is to time the, the precise trough in markets. So for us, you know, when it comes to the property sector, we just think exposure to Asia dollar bonds, but, you know, through the high yield segment, uh, that's a better way to, to wait it out, uh, you know, through a diversified approach. But from the equity market perspective, you know, we wouldn't really look at the property sector. We think it's much more about industrial, which are sort of aligned with policy priorities and maybe dipping our toes into consumer discretionary, which was a regulatory focus some time back. But we think is now, you know, those risks are much more so in the price in consumer discretionary tech as opposed to, you know, property.
0: Yeah, quite interesting picture when it comes to China because you've got an unfolding landscape of diverging views. Some people saying, you know, stocks being better so much, it's a good opportunity to get in because of low prices. But we'll see how this plays out. Another headline watching is what's happening on the oil front. You've got a bit of a interesting picture there because of a different range of opinions when it comes to where the outlook is for demand next year. So you've got the IEA, a bit more conservative, saying that the Omicron COVID variant will dent global demand next year. But on the other hand, you've got OPEC saying they are seeing improved oil demand with the Omicron impact mild and short-lived. What do you make of these diverging views and what's your view on where oil is going next year?
1: Well, I think on oil, you know, it, it does come down to your view on how demand and supply balance out. And what you know, OPEC and IEA, I think the, what the comments really reflect is I think the supply picture is a little bit more predictable but it's actually quite hard to decipher what kind of impact a further spread of the Omicron, Omicron variant might have, and a better way to think about it may be to think in terms of scenarios. I think rather, you know, I don't think any of us are, uh, know enough about the, the variant at the moment to have a, a very strong handle of how it may evolve. But the way I look at it is this: you know, one scenario is where it does not have a strong sort of you know impact on demand. In that case, we, we sort of expect all prices largely range-bound, maybe with a slightly bullish bias. That's really our base case, looking for you know seventy. Three to seventy-five dollars in twelve months' time. So, really, in the region of where we are today, the only scenario where Omicron does have a significant downside risk Mm -hmm. to oil prices is where we really, really end up with new mobility restrictions and particularly if they end up disrupting supply chains further. Uh, that's the downside scenario. So it's not a base case, but I think if we're sort of watching to see how the picture evolves, those are sort of two very big picture scenarios which could lead to very different outcomes for oil. So that's, that's what we would monitor as we go through the year.
0: All right. Something to watch out for in the coming months. We've been chairman of Manpreet Gill. He is the head of FICC Investment Strategy for Senate Chartered Private Bank. Manpreet, thanks for your time again. Thanks very much.